630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Hey, Friday night. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins. It is Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630 Chad. We have a lot to get to this evening, and we're going to dive right in with a gentleman who has uh, certainly been in the news because of his health over the last couple of months. Not exactly what we would have expected for Gord Wilson, Ottawa Senators analyst, who we hop on the line with right now. Gord, thanks for checking in tonight and talking to people about what you've been through. How are you feeling today? Well, good evening, Reed, and thanks for having me. I'm feeling pretty good, thank you. Yeah, this will be day five of the feel-good period after going through a stretch of, I don't know, probably two weeks where uh, I certainly wasn't myself and maybe even a little bit before that, uh, just fighting a cold and all that other stuff that comes this time of year. Well, glad to hear you're you're on day five of feeling good. Uh, If you haven't heard Gord's story, uh, you you unfortunately did get hit with COVID-19. So are you still isolating or are you still kind of staying away from? Well, I mean, we all kind of are, but are you still like really quarantining yourself? (laughs) Yes, um, I am. Even though I've been given um, the go-ahead from uh, Ottawa Public Health, and I got this a couple of days ago. They were quite ecstatic to say, okay, you're free to go out into the world, uh, but we uh, want you to exercise caution and um, follow guidelines. In other words, don't go out in the world, and I have no issues with that whatsoever, and uh, I continue to self-isolate here at home. Um, it certainly wasn't a fun process uh, going through uh, what I did go through, and um, it's such a weird uh disease or virus pardon me that um, you just never know and you know there's been a lot of talk of once you get it you're not going to be able to get it or you won't get it for at least a little while but um, it's such an unknown read that um, I'm not going to take any chances Um, once is enough and um, uh, I'll wait for the world to settle down here a little bit before I start uh, venturing out a little bit more. So so Gord the one thing we hear about the virus is that it can be different for everybody. So I'm wondering how it progressed for you and at your absolute worst, how it made you feel. Yeah, it's interesting because I've traveled with the senators and uh, um, unfortunately for me, back in mid-February, I had a mild heart attack and I missed some time because of that. And um, uh, there were health issues going into all of this and um, uh, my immune system was down. I went back to work and I was a little bit run down and fatigued, but my body was playing tricks on me because I was um, uh, trying out some new medications. All that said, uh, went on the road trip and not feeling great. I just stayed to myself basically because of my energy level, got the jobs done that I was supposed to get done and pretty much just honkered down in a hotel room and kept to myself for uh, the four or five days that we were out on the road. Um, When I came back from California, didn't feel all that great, didn't feel any better either. And My wife works in the business. She's a co-anchor on the 6 o'clock news here in Ottawa. So uh, we felt prudent that um, I get tested uh, just because of the guidelines and the criteria that um, uh, was coming out um, when I got back from California, and one of them was, have you traveled uh, outside of Canada in in recent days or weeks? And I certainly did. And do you have these symptoms? And I certainly did. So from there, I got tested, and that was on the 16th. Um, It wasn't until the uh, 27th that I got a test result. There was 11 days waiting for this test result. But read by day five, um, and you know as well as anybody, we all play... Uh, internet doctor when you've got things wrong with you that 
don't feel right. And at first I thought it was just a flu, but then I said to my wife after about the third day or so, this is if this is the flu, it's like nothing I've had before. Uh, had some issues uh, with uh, energy level and shortness of breath, just walking up a flight of stairs. And uh, by about day five, I think it was day five or day six where I lost my sense of taste and smell. And I think a couple of days after that, it came out that that was one of the symptoms where you do lose your ability to taste something or smell something. Um, I checked off those boxes as well. And so by the time I got a phone call saying, yeah, you've tested positive, my response was, yeah, no, I know. And the person at the other end of the phone said, you've checked off a lot of symptoms boxes. And I said, yep. So there you go. Wow. So, but but after that that really low point, like the next day, would you say you already improved a little bit? Or then, like then, how quickly did the improvement happen? No, I got the phone call. I think on the Thursday, if I'm not mistaken, and there was still some heaviness in my chest. Uh, the energy level was still down, and I still uh, had an infrequent cough. Um, by Sunday, I woke up to the smell of somebody in the house cooking bacon down on the oh, main geez. level below me, and I, I went, oh, I can smell this. Isn't that wonderful? And yelled down for them to make me a piece, and, um, you know, when the when the kitchen cleared, I had a piece and um, could taste it as well. So I, I was thinking on the Sunday, uh, maybe the corner is being turned here. Monday was an okay day. It was a little bit indifferent, but it's been uh, um, quite fine. There's progression certainly since last Sunday, absolutely. What did the test involve? The test involved, and we have a makeshift, uh, a couple of makeshift uh, test sites, COVID-19 test sites here in Ottawa that are close to my place, and one is in an arena. uh, just near Carleton University, and the test was simply drive down to it, uh, wait in line, um, basically six feet, you know, in front of somebody and six feet behind somebody, and you just move on. And when you get to the entrance of the uh, the test site facility, you're handed a mask um, and instructed on how to put it on properly. You go in. There's a frontline nurse right in the front door who's asking a series of questions, uh, and if you meet the criteria from the questions asked to um, warrant further evaluation they send you in Uh, there were a lot of people who got turned away uh, turned back at the door just because you know what they thought maybe they had a cold or something and uh, public health thought you know what um, we we don't want to waste anybody's time here and you don't quite fall into the category so there were lots that got turned away rightfully so uh, and there were lots that went in based on the answers that were given to the questions asked. And I went into a further evaluation, um, and then it was determined that, yes, I would need a swab. And it's basically a long Q-tip that uh, gets kind of shoved up one nostril, and they take a swab of the uh, the inside of the nose, the sinuses area, and um, and that's that. It's a little bit of a tickle. Um but not in a funny way. It's an uncomfortable tickle. But I mean, it was—it's—it's uh, it's really nothing that <laughs> you have to go through to, you know, determine whether you have it or not. Yeah, Gord Wilson joining us tonight, color analyst for the Ottawa Senators on TSN twelve hundred. He's telling you about uh, going through COVID nineteen, feeling pretty much better now. But he's been telling you how how poor he did feel for a few days so man this has been quite the time for you Gord I, I mean and, and you're I know you're on with Bob earlier in the week and I'm glad to hear you're feeling even better from from then and, and you and I talked about a week and a half after you'd 
you'd had the heart attack. So you're yeah. due for some good luck and some good health here, I think. Fingers crossed. Hey, yeah. I just I heard your weather forecast prior to coming off, and I went, oh, my gosh, it's minus 17 with a wind chill. Thank goodness we're getting a little bit warmer weather here. I got a cottage about an hour away from my house, Reed, so I'm ang- and it's on the Ontario side. They've closed, they've, they've really uh, clamped down on uh, border crossing between Ontario and Quebec, and it's cottage country on the Quebec side uh, for a lot of Ontarians and a lot of people who live in Ottawa, so their inability to get to the cottage um, would absolutely ruin my day if I wasn't able to do that. So I may sneak up to a a cabin on the lake uh, next week for a little self-self-isolation to to, uh, uh, make things a little more comfortable. Yeah, even easier to avoid people. That that sounds like a good call. And obviously... Um, you know, a couple senators, players, other members of the organization uh, hit with this as well. A couple players on the Colorado Avalanche. I, 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 forgive me if this, is, if this is absolutely a stupid question because it's pretty hard to trace. But do you have any suspicions about where you might have caught the virus? You know, and nothing stupid about the question. It's been asked an awful lot and a very legitimate question. And you know what? Um, there's just there's such an unknown about this virus, Reed, um, and life in the National Hockey League. You cross paths with anybody and everybody, and you travel with the same people. Um, uh, you know, you, you wait for a media bus outside a hotel in sunny California, and you have, you know... 150 people walk by you while you're waiting for a media bus. So there could have been any one of a number of times where, you know what, somebody sneezed, somebody coughed in my direction. I mean, it could have been as simple as that uh, from somebody who didn't know he had the virus. He or she knew he had the virus. So uh, it, it can happen in any number of ways, and it's almost impossible. But I think it's, it's fair to say um, we can trace it back to um, those few days in California. Yeah. So, Gordon, I'll ask you the obligatory hockey questions here. Um have you given any thought to if they they somehow finish this season? Do you dive right into the playoffs? Do you try to play a few regular season games to get everybody to 72 or 74 and a couple yeah. of games out of their belt? Do you have to go best of five if you do have a July-August postseason? Uh, I, I, I'm liking the scenarios that you're, you're uh um, putting forward here, Reed, because I think um, it helps the National Hockey League to um, through – I guess integrity is probably the wrong word, but I'll use it anyway. I think the integrity of the game certainly not at stake here based on what the world is going through, but I think um, it would it, it would just look a little bit better on the league if they could get uh, everybody to an even number of games. And if I'm not mistaken, you know, there are, I know Ottawa has 11 games left in its regular season and then no playoffs. Um, if they can get everybody to, as you say, 72, 76, and even if they can squeeze in uh, 82 games of regular season play, uh, I have zero issue whatsoever with the league uh, playing through the summer months. Um, I think, you know, I heard a scenario from somebody from inside the league a couple of days ago called to see how I was doing. We had this very discussion, and the response that, and I asked the same question, the response that I got was, if the league is shut down in April and May and a little bit of June, uh, it comes back for the final games of the regular season. And then in July, it uh, it ramps up for playoffs. And you go, Ju- uh, you go July and August for playoffs and the awarding of a Stanley Cup. 
you take a little bit of time off in September, um, you possibly avoid a preseason, uh, a preseason schedule of games, or you, I know most teams probably have somewhere between five and eight. If you drop that to an even four or even three, um, you can get the season, the next season underway you know, in mid-October perhaps. Then you eliminate the All-Star weekend and the bye week that everybody uh, certainly likes nowadays. Um, and and then you attempt to get a little bit of normalcy. Also thrown into this, read was the scenario of the Olympics being postponed for a year and NBC having that television coverage of the Olympics now vacant. And I believe the NBC television contract with the NHL is up this year. So it would it would tie in rather nicely, don't you think, to have uh, NBC, the major network in the United States, be able to televise at least something and the money that can be generated from even television revenue. If the buildings remain empty, uh, the league would still welcome the television revenue, that's for sure. Gord, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show, and and thank you for candidly sharing what you went through uh, with COVID-19. I, I do think it's important to... Uh, and look, it, it is very real, but to, to hear a story and, and to hear someone from the hockey world talk about their experiences, I do think that's really valuable. Glad you're feeling better. Hope you feel even better tomorrow, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, sounds good, Reed. Thank you very much. I am a big believer in that hashtag, stay home and save lives, and um, I think that's a necessary evil for everybody. And you know what? It's not really an evil, is it? I mean, it's a pretty simple request here in the big scheme of things. Right on. Thanks, Gord. Thank you, Reed. Cheers. Gord Wilson checking in from uh, Ottawa tonight. So, man, he's uh, he's had a rough ride, had a heart attack, and uh, got hit with COVID-19. He is on the, uh, well, he's recovered from the heart attack and uh, pretty much fully recovered, but still staying. He's staying home after dealing with COVID-19, but I really appreciate him sharing his journey there. It's 20 minutes after 6. Thanks so much for tuning in tonight. You can reach out at 780-496-0063. Remember, that is the number to both call and text. Call a quick timeout. Defenseman Oscar Kleffbaum held a conference call today. He has gone back to Sweden. We were talking a lot, my girlfriend and I, and we were we were, we both um, agreed on going home with the dog would be would be a pretty smart decision. Um, you know what, what's going on in the world, and, and a lot of borders were were closing. And if you would have waited any longer, maybe some some borders would be would be closed, and we would have a hard time going back. And um, it feels better to be here in Kallstad with uh, with a dog and close to family and friends. Um, even though Edmonton is a, it's a good place to be, and obviously it was, we like it there. We would like to to be here close to our friends and family. A little bit there from Oscar Clefbaum. We have Eric on line one. Go ahead, Eric. Eric, or pardon me, Reed. How you doing, buddy? Good. Good. Hey, listen, I got a question for you, and it's regarding the Seattle expansion. Okay, my buddy and I were talking about this over the phone, obviously, and it's very rare that we ever come to uh, an agreement on hockey, but we were kind of stumped. Like, 
In your opinion, like, how do you, or I don't, like, we don't know, how is the expansion in Seattle going to work? Is it going to be like Vegas? Yes. And if it, it okay, fine. Now, no, that's, thank you. Now, who in our club do you figure we're going to protect? I mean, obviously, Dry Saddle and McDavid, but, and who do you think might be, uh, we might have to let go to, to Seattle? Here's what, well, first of all, I don't know who's going to be in the roster uh, in over a year from now. But, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I would think the Oilers that w- w- if if James Neal was was still an Oiler, the Oilers would make him available and hope that he gets selected because of how much he takes up under the cap. Yeah, absolutely. But do you think like I mean, is do we have to worry about Bouchard and Bear? No, no, because some of the younger guys, uh, like some of the younger guys, they don't count, right? If they're still on their ELCs. Oh, and, and that go- and that's the same with the Amiotto too, right? Uh. No, I think by that time Yamamoto would have to be protected, but Bouchard would be fine. Okay, great, great. So that's all we needed to know. I just wanted, before I let you go, uh, thank you for your show. You're doing a great job. Uh, you're helping, uh, you're filling the gap where sports are supposed to be. Your show is, I've supported it since day one. Thank you so much. You're making all of this much easier for me and my family. And uh, I just, you know, I, I would love to buy you a beer one day once all this is over. Appreciate that, Eric. <laughs> Take care, buddy. You bet your brother. All right, back after the news. listener and very amusing human being the big l as we had a caller eric say he'd like to buy me a beer someday before we broke for news the big l says read any beer offers you are unable to claim for whatever reason i am willing to fill in for you no thanks necessary just doing my part that is the big l what a kind gentleman what, what a thoughtful gentleman. Any beer that I am unable to drink, the Big L will fill in for me. Wow. Isn't that something, Kellen? Nice. You look up kindness in the dictionary, you see a text from the Big L. There you go. <laughs> oh, thank you very much, Big L. 780-496-0063 if you would like to call or text tonight. Well, obviously a huge impact on uh, on the world of sports with so many seasons either paused or cancelled. Big events paused or cancelled or postponed. We were talking a lot about Wimbledon this week being cancelled for 2020. We've been talking a lot about NHL players. You've heard from several Oilers this week and what they're doing while the season is paused. Well, the ECHL season was uh, downright called off. It was flat out canceled, and that has a lot of that has a huge effect on a lot of hockey players and a lot of hockey players who, quite frankly, weren't collecting the types of paychecks that NHLers get. So we want to tell that story a little bit tonight, and I'm pleased to welcome to the show from the Wichita Thunder, which is the ECHL team of the Edmonton Oilers, Riley Wazlowski. Riley, you're on with Reed Wilkins. How are you doing, sir? Hey, I'm doing great, guys. How are you guys doing? Doing very well. Thanks for uh, for checking in tonight, Riley. First of all, uh, it's kind of a standard question for my guests these days. Uh, where are you, and h- how are you writing this out right now? 
Well, I'm in Wichita, uh, so my wife and I, uh, you know, I've been playing in the, the ECHL for 12 seasons now, and uh, and the last about nine of those, I was in South Dakota. Uh, my wife is from Kansas, and so uh, this is kind of a family move to get closer to her family uh, here in Wichita, and so so we bought a house here in Wichita, and this is home for us now, and so well, all the other guys were scrambling to, to get out of here, you know, fortunately for us, I didn't have to uh, have to, to get out of here like they did. So we're about to in Kansas. Riley, where are you from originally? Uh, Manitoba, a little town called Pilot Mountain, Manitoba, just uh, north of the, the Canada-U.S. border, um, about five miles north of the border, um, middle of Manitoba. Oh, awesome stuff. Well, I'm hoping we can kind of go through your hockey journey here first before we get into the other other stuff because I you know, I I find it's it's players like you who also ha- who all often have the, the the best and most colorful stories of of their journey through the game. So what did what did you play? You must have played in in the MJHL. Am I am I on the right path here? Yeah, yeah, I did. I played in the MJHL. I uh, you know, I I grew up in a small town of about 500 people, uh, Pilot Mountain, Manitoba. And uh, growing up in Pilot Mound, uh, you know, probably my, my, my goal in hockey as a, you know, a really young kid was to hopefully someday be able to play for the, the senior men's hockey team and, and drink beer down in the basement with the guys uh, after the games. And, and uh, you know, I never really had that much of pro ambitions or anything. But, uh, but from there, you know, just kind of progressed through the ranks and, and did uh, some AAA midget um, and, and Started having some pretty good success in AAA, and, and then uh, Junior A in Nipua, Manitoba, uh, for two years as a 17-year-old and 18-year-old. Um, then I went to Bemidji State uh, University in northern Minnesota. Uh, played four years at Division One college hockey in Min- northern Minnesota, and and uh, probably thought that was going to be it for me as well. And I, I had uh, um, some phone calls from some ECHL teams and a guy by the name of Derek Laxdahl, who you guys are probably pretty familiar oh, with yep. in Edmonton. A <laughs> uh, couple of Memorial Cup uh, winners from Edmonton there. So he was uh, coaching in, in Boise, Idaho, and he uh, got a hold of uh, me and my best friend who were playing at Bermidji and, uh, and convinced us to go into the next season. And so I thought I'd, I'd give her a shot for one year. Um, about... Uh, February, I tore my knee and uh, and missed the rest of the season, so I decided to go back the next year uh, one more time. I broke my back the first game of the season, and I was out till about January, and, and then I got a call from Rapid City, South Dakota, and yeah, it was the Central Hockey League at the time, and so I was just going to go finish the year there, and we ended up winning the league championship, and, and I just had an absolute blast. All the boys lived on. Uh, um, one thing in the ECHL is that, is that you don't, you don't rent your own place out or anything like that. You just, uh, um, you know, the, the team puts you up in team housing. Well, that, that team in Rapid City had all of us in townhouses on a golf course, and, and we stayed there all summer, and it was just a blast. And so I, one year turned into nine, ten years pretty quickly playing there and, and had a, you know, ended up carving out a pretty good career and, and playing some pretty fun cities along the way as well. Well, wow, that's an amazing story. I, I got to go back to a couple points there, Riley, because I because I think there are some stories within the story. So that would have been I'm I'm guessing oh nine oh ten. You you broke your back. I mean that sounds really bad. What what happened and what was the recovery like? Uh, it was a compression fracture. It was a, so it was an L one compression fracture. Yeah, it was it was just a, a bad hit from behind. I went to the boards funny and you know. The body's probably it's the first game of the season, so just uh, the impact there at that point. 
um, put me out. And, and actually, I, I went into the locker room that game, and, and they, they were stretching me out and stuff. And and uh, so it's just muscular stuff. And, and then the next weekend, he tried to play again and, and got a bunch of pain meds in me and, and managed to get through the game. But the next morning, I couldn't even get out of bed. And so I went in and got the MRI and... Uh, and uh, sure enough, I had a compression fracture there. And so I was out from mid-October, which is when our first game is, until about the uh, end of January, uh, playing our first game, uh, maybe one or two games probably, so they could clear me off of the, uh, um, you know, your injury isn't my problem anymore list. And, uh, and um, you know, they were pretty loaded up at that time. We were first place in the ECHL. I was just, you know, a second-year guy that had a couple injuries, um, you know, very recently, I hadn't really played much hockey for a year, so I figured I'd go to the Central Hockey League, which at the time, was it's a good league. It was a, an older league. Um, a lot of guys were making more money uh, in that league than they were in the ECHL, but it wasn't really for the young up-and-comers, which was probably more where I was at that point. But uh, um, it, it, Rapid City turned out to be a great fit for me. I played a lot of years there and, and uh, enjoyed my time there, so worked out. Awesome stuff. Riley Waslowski joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Defenseman for the Wichita Thunder in the ECHL. He's taking you a little bit through his journey through junior, through university, and playing in the ECHL and the CHL. And i got to tell you something. I texted Derek Laxdahl just now. Said you're on the show. He says uh, he says Riley's a great person. Tell him I say hi. So there you go. Derek, <laughs> Derek remembers you too. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, Go, going through these leagues, and I know you did mention, uh, you know, your your wife is from the states, and you met her along the way. Um, sometimes in the ECHL and the CHL, there can be a little uh, instability with with some of the franchises. Um, the hockey teams might not have the a huge following in every city, but you, did you have some, or, or like, do you have any stories along the way of? A, a weird promotion or a promotion got wrong or, or a rink you rolled into and you were like, my God, there's 20 people here for a hockey game? Like anything like that? Um, uh, you know, that kind of stuff happened all the time in terms of, you know, running into these rinks with not many people in them. You know, the, the, the Central Hockey League at that time was, was probably more of, of uh, the haves and the have not. You know, we had 18 teams in that league and we had, uh, um, we had there was probably six teams that, that really were, were very... Good, and, and they were teams that drew very well, and they could pay some under-the-table money um, as well, and uh, you know, entice players to come that way. And 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 we went from because of that, you know, it, it, it created a you know a not very balanced league, and and which was probably the reason we went from 18 teams down to maybe 12 teams, and and a couple of years later we were down to six teams, and we ended up you know. Um, being accepted in the ECHL, the teams that were still kicking, and so um, I can think of some some crazy ones. We used to, have, you know, we would bust, and so we would we would play teams down on the uh, on the Mexico border, uh, Laredo, um, Rio Grande, right on the Mexico border, and uh, it, it'd be part of a road trip. But we would finish the game on Saturday night. We'd get on our bus after the game, and we would bus all the way back to South Dakota, which is what a 26-hour bus ride. And, uh, I mean, I can tell you times we were coming back on that bus and, and uh, you know, freezing cold outside. Our, our bus drivers, you know, probably just losing his mind. We'd get on the bus that uh, Saturday night after the game. It was supposed Sunday night on one of our trips home. It was the coldest night of the year. And uh, um, 
the bus breaks down an hour short of South Dakota, but it's about one thirty in the morning and on Sunday, so nothing's open. And, uh, and so the, we get out of the, the bus, and, and it turns out there's a, a hose that, that broke um, um, as part of the uh, the radiator. And, and so our, we don't have any hoses, you know, with us. And so we we open the back of the bus, and that time there used to be those those butt end grips that you put on to. Uh, on the end of your stick instead of taping a knob on your stick a couple of guys had those so we pulled the sticks out of the back of the bus and and and, and like and when i say it's the coldest night of the winter in south dakota it is freezing you guys know cold up there but we're it's freezing cold they're, they're trying to rig this thing up to put this hose on with this this grip and spend about an hour probably doing that and and we fire the bus up and the boys start cheering and we think we're going we make her about a quarter of a mile down the road and, and the uh, the fluid just rips right through that thing and and so our bus busy says he's gonna have to go and, and at this time we would haul a jeep behind the bus and so he he would he got in the jeep and, and went down the road about an hour to the town that was closest. Nothing's open, can't find anything, ends up going back to South to Rapid City, um gets a hose, comes back, tries to put it on at six in the morning. At this point there's been no heat on the bus, you can see her breath and uh and the hose is the wrong size. So that didn't work out and by this point things are starting to open up again and we eventually did make it back but I mean that's just one of I could probably write a book on the stories and the the, the travel schedule. My God, that that's incredible, Riley. So you really had to be oh, a jack of all trades. <laughs> you, ha- you had to be you, you had to be willing to uh, to just realize that things weren't going to go well all the time. That's for sure. But but when you're playing at this level, you know you're not playing for money. You're playing because you absolutely love hockey and uh, you love being around the guys. And so uh, you know, as much as when you're in the moment of something like that, it's absolutely terrible. But uh, but you know that's the stuff you look back on, and that's the stuff you remember. And so it's uh, it's part of the the culture of it, I guess, and it's it's part of uh, you know what makes it what makes it great, I guess. Riley Wazlowski joining us tonight on uh, Inside Sports uh, with his perspective of his uh, his career in the uh, ECHL and the CHL, and also what's what's happening now. And uh, Riley, I said at the top of the interview, and you referenced it. You're not playing in a league where you're uh, signing contracts worth millions of dollars, and, and your league has you know didn't suspend. It it just canceled. For you and and the people this affects, and I, I don't want to talk just about players. I mean, there's coaches, trainers, team staff, all those uh, all those type of people. I mean, are you pretty concerned about how this might affect uh, some people if they're able to to earn enough going forward here, or what are you thinking? You know what? It is going to affect some people. It's going to affect some people worse. Um, you know, I think the the timing of it is probably the the thing that is, you know, what really changes between some guys and other guys because because you have such a, a you know wide range of players. You've got 21, 22 year olds that are coming in that are probably making 500, 550 bucks uh, a week, but but. Uh, um, you know, they don't have a lot of expenses, um, but they also don't have a lot of bills, a lot of these guys, too. And so, um, so you know, how does it affect them? Maybe not quite as bad. Then you get some guys in the, more in the middle of the road, which maybe haven't saved up a lot of money over the years, but, but uh, they're starting to get some more expenses. You know, maybe they just bought a house this year and they've got some mortgage payments, or maybe they're getting married or something like that, um, that it's going to affect more. And then... And then you've got uh, some older guys, uh, you know, which where I would consider myself that maybe you've got a few months of savings built up, uh, 
um, but you're really counting on uh, you know some some summer hockey camps and things like that this summer and and so if, if all that stuff falls through um, and that now you burn through all your savings obviously that's um, you know unfortunate but um, as bad as it is I think you, you also have to step back and, and realize that it's you know this is a terrible time for everybody and there's a lot of people that are, are really hurting and as much as it's uh, you know an unfortunate situation and you got to feel for the guys um, uh, you know I feel for everybody. I feel for the staff at our arena, and I feel for uh, because you, you hear about some of the NHL teams that are stepping up and they're paying for uh, the staff of arenas and stuff like that. You know, in the minor leagues, there's that's not happening. Um, that's for sure. So, uh, um, you know, people everywhere are feeling the effects of it, and uh, um, I guess uh, as part of the executive committee for our, our league for the ECHL, um, we've been uh, putting together a, a relief fund. Um, the, um, we're trying to build some money up that uh, to help guys out um, that really need it, and and so I think that we're going to be able to take care of guys, and I think that you know hopefully you know in the end of this nobody uh, um, is going to be uh, you know in a terrible place, and um, I guess the how, how that plays out will just be how how well we can build this fund up and and uh, you know take care of guys that way. Well, good for you guys for doing that. I, I hope you don't mind me asking, Riley, but what do you think the highest-paid player in the ECHL made this season? Well, you know, the, the really high-end uh, salaries, are, if you're just on an ECHL salary, you'd be making about 1000 bucks a week. Um, you know, and, and, and one thing in the ECHL is, is your housing is covered. And, and every, probably not every team, but I would say most teams would maybe have one or two guys that have, bought a house uh in the market and 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 the teams can pay for your mortgage um when that's the case and so that's you know for a a guy like me that's that's been able to really carve out you know somewhat of a career i guess at this level and been able to adapt to the league has changed and went from more of a goon league and and now it's getting a lot you know faster and it's it's really good hockey now um but uh but to be able to play it for as long as i have you kind of have to have a little bit of a um, you know, business mentality with it, and so um, to be able to get into a, a market and get a, a house set up and, and have a team paying your mortgage, and and then you know figure out something for summer gigs. If you're just going to sit around, all, you know, you can't you can't have the NHL guy mentality where maybe I can just totally train all summer and not have to worry about getting income. You have to be able to, uh, you know, okay, find some kind of a side gig or something uh, where you can make some some good money in the summer if you want to be able to keep doing this for. Uh, for for any length of time, Riley. We're, we're, I mean, we're going to have to have you on again. You're, you're incredibly well spoken. I, I got some textures writing in that they're, they're really happy to have you on the show. They're asking where we found you. Well, my producer Dave Campbell got in touch with you. I let him do that work, and I just get to enjoy speaking with you. But thanks for sharing your career with us, and, and thanks for sharing how the the shutdown and and the pandemic is affecting your league and and some of your teammates. I, I really appreciate it. We wish you all the best. Stay safe and healthy there in Wichita. Hey, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's been a pleasure. Excellent stuff. That is Riley Wazlowski from the Wichita Thunder. That is the Oilers ECHL affiliate. Uh, I could have asked him about some Oilers prospects down on that team right now, but I think we were talking about more important stuff for the moment. He was awesome. we got to take a quick timeout. Inside Sports on Chad. 
So that was Riley Wislowski from the uh, Wichita Thunder. A couple people asking about his last name if you want to look him up, and, and he has done some uh, print interviews about this as well. First name, R-I-L-E-Y. Last name, W-E-S-E-L-O-W-S-K-I. Defenseman for the Wichita Thunder. He was excellent to talk to. We'll have uh, some clips from Oscar Clefbaum and Kyler Yamamoto as we roll along tonight. And we'll have some fun with Oilers now host Bob Stoffer when we get back. And later on tonight, we'll go to New Zealand to meet a big fan of the Edmonton Oilers. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.